All right, we are in Acts, and we are in chapter 12. Um, we're going to just deal with five verses tonight. Um, I'm continuing with last week with the title, Heaven versus Herod, um, part two. Um, it's a, let me just recap quickly, as I like to do every night, just to make sure that we're all on the same page. We have two missionary bases, two churches that have become, in, in my estimation, missionary bases. You have Antioch, um, that becomes a missionary base, I understand, for uh, most probably for the Gentile world. And then you have the missionary base of Jerusalem um, that um, seems to be reaching out specifically towards the Jewish world. The church in Jerusalem is undergoing a lack of food due to a drought. But also at the same time, while this drought is going on and Christians are struggling to eat, Herod... Herod is persecuting the Christians. He's killing, he killed the first apostle, um, James. Um, now, this Herod is Herod Agrippa. His grandfather um, was Herod the Great, and he was also a murderer. He killed the babies of Bethlehem, right? And then his father was Herod Antipas, and Herod Antipas killed John the Baptist. So, the Herods seem to be murderers. It just runs in the family, like father, like son. Uh, I, I don't know if that's a saying over here, but if you spoke about the Herods in the first century, it's the guys who like killing people, it seems like. Um, so we, we saw in verses 1 to 19 just, you know, how Herod then kills James. And then he sees, hey, the Jews like this. The Jews like it when I kill the Christians. So he arrests Peter and he puts him into prison. But he's experienced before that when you put Peter in prison, it seems like prison can't keep this guy in. Because you remember previously, Peter and some of the apostles were in prison, and an angel came to save them in the middle of the night. So this time he said, okay, well, if I'm going to take Peter uh, into custody, specifically um, he chose Peter because he was the leader, uh, I think, the, or, or the greatest instigator, the guy who preached the first gospel sermon, the, the guy who, who healed the, uh, the guy at the gate called Beautiful, the lame man. So he was really a threat. Um, so he, he imprisons him, but he assigns 16 soldiers to make sure this guy can't get out of prison. And so we read about what happens. He, he's in prison. He's got probably two soldiers next to him, two soldiers by the gate, and they're alternating three-hour shifts probably. He is in chains, and... Um, while he's in chains, the church is busy praying. And the text says, an angel appeared to him, chains fell off, and he came out of the prison, walked out the prison, knocked on the door where the Christians are busy praying. Very cool text. Uh, that's what we dealt with last week. Now, um, what we sort of ended off with last week is, how must this have looked from Herod's perspective, and from the Jews' perspective? Because the Jews are like, happy, yes. Herod arrested Peter. He's in prison. Yes. The opposers of Christianity are very happy. Then suddenly they hear, um, no, but um, Peter escaped from the clutches of Herod. I suspect that wasn't fun for Herod. And that caused doubt into the minds of these Jews. Um, because the, the last verse we spoke about is Herod runs away to where? Caesarea. Yes. So he leaves Jerusalem, he runs to Caesarea. I suspect the text doesn't say it, and you know, this is just man speaking. I suspect he felt uncomfortable in Jerusalem, 
and he went to Caesarea. Um, probably for self-preservation, um, it's possible. Or some people say he fled to Caesarea simply because Caesarea was an up-and-coming city, great port city, and many of the governors lived there, and he wanted to just go live there, whatever. Now, we can speculate about Herod and his heart and his motives. We don't know what was going on in his heart. But I think Luke is giving us a historical truth that Herod was not on the side of the Christians. He was in opposition to the Christians. He was on the side of the Jews because Christianity had no political influence. Think about it. What do you think Christianity looked like in the first century? They didn't have a Sanhedrin. They didn't have a legal system. There was a brand new movement. It was a grassroots, sort of underground, house-to-house type of movement. There were no legal structures. So, so there was no, uh, it, 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 it was like a, a nothing movement. It was like a peasant movement to Herod. And he probably saw it just as another thing that's going to come and go, like some sects have, have come in um, among the Jews. So Herod didn't really respect it and probably saw it just as a simple, small movement that will die out. Now, Luke, he told us that Herod went to Caesarea, but he doesn't just leave it there. I mean, it's a good point to just leave the story of Herod and and move on. But he decides, in the text for tonight, to tell us what happened to Herod in Caesarea. And that intrigues me. Why would he tell us what happens to Herod if he's not a Christian at all? So, before we read the text, as I'd like to do on these, with these lessons on Sunday nights, let me ask a few questions. Are you generally a peacemaker or a, what I call a me-maker? A me-maker is a person that is more interested in being right and having their own way than making peace with somebody. I had an a encounter this week with somebody who I cle- whom I clearly saw this. I went to go make peace with this person, and this person was just not interested. This person was just interested in having their way. And the goal wasn't peace. The goal was, it must be my way. What type of person are you? Do you want to make peace, or do you want your way? Sometimes we've got to compromise our way to make peace. We're going to touch on that. How do you feel about the praise of people? Do you like it when people say, well done? And how do you take that? Wow, you're intelligent. Or wow, you're so compassionate. How do you handle the praise of people? And how should we handle What's a healthy way to handle the praise of people? Uh, thirdly, what are some of the things Satan does that we also do? Like, what do we know Satan specifically does? He probably uh, uses deception. He lies. Jesus says that's his native language. So when I lie, sorry, brother. Cheat. Chief. Oh, he's a chief of liars. Sorry, that's a different translation. Yeah. Um, All right. And then lastly, um, are you kingdom-minded or United States-minded? And the reason I raise that is sometimes, um, and I've said this many times before, 
Sometimes we are more passionate about our earthly kingdom than about our heavenly kingdom. And that sometimes gets in the way of... If we're more, if we're more passionate about the earthly kingdom, we neglect the, um, dedicating that energy to the kingdom of God. Okay, with that in mind, let's go to the text. We'll start with the first verse. Talking about Herod, he had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. So Herod finds himself in Caesarea, and then um, Luke brings this up. There was some type of a conflict between Herod and the people of Tyre and Sidon. And if you go look at the map, sorry, I don't have a map tonight. Tyre and Sidon were big cities just north of, of him. And somehow or another, Herod and these guys, they have some type of a disagreement. There's some type of um, uh, issue. And there was trade going both ways. These places would trade with each other. But Herod was in charge of Judea. And from Judea, he would send uh, various items, uh, trading material with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So something went pear-shaped with this relationship um, between them. The text says that they were dependent. So Tyre and Sidon, these two places, they were dependent upon Herod and, um, and, and what he could offer from Judea. Just to, we, we need to unpack this a little bit. I know it, it might be a little bit boring, but... Let's just think about it for a moment. Why do you think God gave the land of Israel to the Israelites? Why not New Zealand or Australia or Egypt? What was so unique about that piece of land? You know, because that's the land that He promised Him. And that tells me that there's something very unique about that land. From the beginning in the Old Testament, we read that it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And if you look at where the great powers of the world was, you had Persia here, you had um, Rome eventually developed on this side, you had Egypt at the bottom. And all of these big world powers, if they wanted to trade with each other, they had to go through the promised land, the land of Canaan. That's why I believe God gave them that land. God gave the Israelites that piece of land that forms the center point of the trading routes of the world, so that the world could see his people. So that's why there's always been this war over that piece of land in um, my estimation. So Mesopotamia, beautiful piece of land, land flowing with milk and honey. And these guys in Tyre and Sidon, they needed Herod. Because Herod could trade with them some valuable um, products from, his, from the country that he was in control of. And somehow, this, uh, there was conflict developing um, between them. So what, what did they do? Is It seems like, it seems like what, what I read is that the historians say that Herod was going to cut ties with Tyre and Sidon for whatever reason. But what did they do? They got into contact with Blastus. Does anybody have a different translation that tells you who Blastus was? Or Blastus? Or how do you say it in American? I've got no idea. The king's chamberlain. 
Somebody else said he was the keeper of his bedroom. This text says he was a trusted personal servant of the king. So, I don't know how it worked in those days. You've got one guy that has got a key to your bedroom. I don't know. Maybe he was, but either way, he was a very trusted servant of Herod. He was somebody that was very close to Herod. And somehow these guys from Tyre and Sidon, they wanted Herod's favor. So they found a way to get to him. And that's through his most trusted servant, Blastus. For the sake of peace. You get, you get what's going on here. Some people say that he probably received some type of a bribe or whatever. Any case, keep that in mind. Let me just pause here for a moment. They did a good thing because they were opting for peace. Peace opting is always a good idea. Being a peacemaker is always a good idea. Peacemakers are wise. Matthew 5 verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers will be called sons of God. Romans 12 verse 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Quick question. Are you at peace with everyone? Is there anything that you can do to make peace with a person you don't have peace with? This is probably one of the most powerful verses in the New Testament. As far as it depends on you, if possible, live at peace with all men. These guys did well here. They opted for peace. But we're going we're gonna to see something different in a moment's time. So this is what Luke seems to present to us. Why he shares with that, that with us, we'll, we'll see as, as we go on. Let's read further verse, verse 21 and 22. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Now, we think that when this event took place, the, the, the people that were there were from Tyre and Sidon. It was a special celebration. I'm going to read you some things that Josephus says about this. This, was, this is the place where this took place, the historians say. It's still in existence today. And it's, it's, it's so cool, you know, when people say, well, the Bible is not historically accurate. The historians agree this is where it happened, the text that we're reading tonight. So he gave a speech at this place. It's called the Caesarea National Park today. Now, Flavius Josephus, you guys know that he was a historian that wrote about these um, types of things. And he writes the following. Now, bear in mind what you read in Acts and then hear what Josephus says. Now, when Agrippa, that's Herod, had reigned three years over all Judea, he came to the city of Caesarea, which was formerly called Stratton's Tower. And there he exhibited shows in honor of Caesar upon his being informed that there was a certain festival celebrated to make vows for his safety. At which festival a great multitude was gotten together of the principal persons and such as were of dignity throughout his province. On the second day of which shows he put on a garment made wholly of silver. Yeah, I can't understand how that would look good, eh? A silver garment. 
and of wonderful contexture, and early in the morning came into the theater, that place, okay, of the shows and games, at which time the silver of his garment, being illuminated by the first reflection of the sun's rays upon it, shone after a surprising manner and was so resplendent as to spread a horror over those that looked intently on him. And presently his flatterers cried out, one from one place and another from another, He is a God. And they added, Be thou merciful to us, for although we have hitherto reverenced thee only as a man, yet shall we henceforth own thee as superior to mortal nature." That's, that's something, I just read something that's 2,000 years old, where Josephus confirms in, in a similar vein to what we read in Acts. Now, these guys said, oh my goodness, you look like a god. You speak like a god. You're not a mortal human being. Quick question, based on what we know in the previous verse. Do you think these guys really saw Herod as a god? Or do you think that they were flattering him? Because they needed him. They needed him. That's what I think happened. They flattered him to win his favor so that they could continue trading with him. They needed the wealth. That's what I suspect. I suspect that when we talk about getting praise from, from people, I say the following. Put the praise of God in your heart, but not the praise of people. Be very careful of the praise of people. People have agendas. The people that praise you today might stab you in the back tomorrow. The same people that laid out their palm branches in front of Jesus and shouted out, Hail, Jesus, King of the Jews. The same people who said that are the people who shouted, Crucify Him, Crucify Him. We've got to be very careful. I found this incredible text that lines, aligns so well with what we're talking about. Jude 1 verse 16. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. We call that patronizing, I think. Something we've got to be very careful of. So, what happens next? He's busy giving the speech. The people are shouting, He's a God. He's not a man. Immediately. Because Herod did not give praise to God. An angel of the Lord struck him down. And he was eaten by worms and died. Oh, what a crazy text. Is that in the Bible? <laughs> it's in the Bible. Angels struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. And this is the cool thing. 44 A.D., you can go re do the research now. This cat did die very unexpectedly. Very unexpectedly. The historians, even those who don't believe in God, they, and they don't know exactly why he died. There's speculation as to why he died. But this is what Josephus says. So when the people said, you're God, you're God, you're God, then Josephus says, nor did the king rebuke them, nor reject their impious flattery, but looking up, he saw an owl, on a certain rope over his head, and immediately conceived that this bird was to him a messenger of ill tidings, and he fell into the deepest sorrow. A severe pain also arose in his bowels, and he died after five days of severe illness. 
That's what Josephus says, how he died. Either way, he died, and they don't know why. I believe Scripture is pretty, pretty clear. He died immediately. Throughout Scripture, angels bring death. Can you guys think of any examples? Death that came through an angel. The Syrians. Sodom and Gomorrah. Yes, that was the Assyrians, yeah. Even Egypt, wasn't there an angel of death that went through Egypt, killed the firstborn? Yeah. So, nothing new about this. Um, and usually such deaths are associated with God's judgment. Luke wants his readers to know that God judged Herod with death. That's what he wants his readers to understand. Eaten by worms. Not sure. Have you ever heard of anybody eaten by worms? Chuckanosis. Correct. Yeah. It's very possible. I, we, we met uh, two young people and they said their mother died and then basically there was like worms coming out of her. Is that the same thing? Oh, it's the worst imaginable thing. Yo, goodness gracious. Everybody's going to check their nostrils tonight in the mirror. So... Uh, some people say that Herod was poisoned. That's the secular history. Um, but here's the big question. What do you think was the judgment for? Why would God judge him so severely? He accepted the praise from the people, right? They said he was a god. We would say, well, that's probably the, the key thing. I, I suspect something going on here that we will never fully know. But if I had to guess, this is what I would guess. I think Herod, and I think this goes back to Peter's escape from prison. Herod had a feeling that Peter's escape from prison was a miracle and a message from God. Because remember, he had specifically chosen a number of soldiers to guard that tomb. He is the, the ruler of the whole place. He selected the, the soldiers. What is the possibility of Peter escaping? Locked in chains. It's a miracle. I believe that miracle was a message to Herod from God. He knew that there was a God. The prison, the escape from prison wasn't just a message for the church. Because they were praying by faith. It wasn't just a message for Peter, God's providence for him. It was a miracle to inform Herod that there was a God. And he was not that God. Herod knew there was a God, but he ignored him. And here, Herod's true character is revealed. Here we see the man for who he really is. Herod was self-seeking. He was a people pleaser. And he gladly accepted people calling him a God. And who do you think God is reminded of when he sees that? Who would like to guess? Herod is a perfect example. He's a mini Satan. That's what we read in Isaiah 14, um, Ezekiel 28. Satan wanted to raise himself above the stars of God. He wanted to be God himself. We've got to be very careful when we act and do the same things that Satan does. Be very careful. Then you can expect the same judgment as Satan. So I think that touched a nerve 
of, of, of God. That's my opinion. So God punishes those who do what Satan does. So there's a few ironies that I see in this text. I don't know if I, yeah, I did put it up there. The man who wants to kill gets killed. Because in the previous verses, what does Herod do? He wants to kill Peter. And now he gets killed. It's like you'll get some of your own medicine, God says. Secondly, the man who takes all the glory dies in shame. Y'all take all the glory, you die. Worms eat you. Oh, sheesh. You don't want to mess with, with this God. The man standing tall takes a fall. Now, after this gruesome scene, this political exchange between Tyre and Sidon and Herod and, and the worms eating the guy and the speech that he gives and thinking that he's a God, guess where the text suddenly shifts to? Then it suddenly just shifts to this. But the Word of God continued to spread and flourish. I love it. It's like worms, death, but the Word of God continued to spread and flourish. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. I love this text. Herod died of worms. The king of Judah died a horrible death. But the Word of God flourished. And the mission continued. Love it. I think it's loaded with meaning. Kings rise and fall, but the word of God remains. Kings and kingdoms end, but the kingdom of God spreads and will never die. While kings burden themselves with politics, God's servants are breaking new boundaries under the radar. I mean, just think about it. You know, um, Brother Charlie said something to me interesting now. We were there by the lake. We're a small group of insignificant people, just normal, weak people. And there's two people in the water, and we're dipping them in the water. They're getting baptized. What, what's happening spiritually is incredible. Their names are being written in the book of life. Their sins are being forgiven. The blood of Christ is coming down into their lives right at this moment. But everybody's moving around on boats on this lake, and they're busy with their own lives, and they're going on. And they've got different goals and desires and things that they're busy with. But God is doing something incredible that the world doesn't even see or take notice of. It makes me think of this tonight as well. Herod is like in this arena, this amphitheater that's still standing today. There are thousands of people there. He gives a speech, an elaborate speech. He's all dressed up in silver, which is very expensive. And he proclaims things and the people say, he must be a God. And everybody thinks this is such an important and powerful moment. The ruler of the whole of Judea is here in our midst. Meanwhile, Paul and Barnabas, they're just in rags walking around in Jerusalem talking to people about Jesus. At the same time, the world doesn't record what the Spirit does. Only God knows. That for me is extremely powerful. You know, sometimes we think what we are busy with is small. Having that Bible study with somebody in their kitchen is small and insignificant. No, it's not. That is more powerful than parliament meeting, than house of representatives having the uh, the, the president of, of Israel, yeah, I think it was this week. That's insignificant, but that's what's on the news. If we were living in the first century, what would have been on the news? That John Mark was now going with, with Paul on their mission? Or would it be on the news that Herod had given a great speech and the people thought that he was a god? Oh, what we are, what we are involved with is not insignificant, ladies and gentlemen. Don't let the world fool us. It's very, very powerful. 
These guys were going on under the radar. And Luke records it in such a nice way. He just says, well, the word just flourished. Well, kings die. That's pretty cool. Man's efforts get divided. God's work gets multiplied. As Herod was wrestling with Tyre and Sidon and going on with the politics about that, the text says the word of God was multiplying. I love it. Final thoughts. Seeking peace for a godly reason is a great idea. Some people seek fake peace, as I believe was the situation with tyrants and Sidon. Seeking peace for a godly reason is a great idea. Secondly, and uh, let, me just, let me just go back to that. There are times when peace is not, um, is, is in a sense not possible. For example, Paul writes to Titus and he says to him, warn a divisive person once and after that have nothing to do with him. That's a tough text. When a person is divisive, you have to warn him once. After that, have nothing to do with him. And so in that sense, you are creating division. We must also remember that Jesus said, didn't come to the earth to bring peace, but to bring a sword, to divide. And so division will happen. Those who are with God and those who are against God. So that's why I made that statement. Seeking peace for a godly reason is a, is a, is a great idea. Secondly, seek the praise of God rather than the praise of men. I probably don't have to elaborate on that. I think we all agree with that. Um, but I think that's important to talk about, especially for young people who um, really want the praise of people through Facebook videos, through photos that they put on, on Instagram and, and you know Twitter or my yeah, whatever. Um, there's, there's a problem with the young people seeking the praise of men. Um, and we've got to encourage them with the praise of God. And then lastly, choose your battle carefully. Choose your, choose your kingdom battles. And we've spoken about this many times. Who cares? Who was listening to Herod in the arena? Who cares? insignificant insignificant Paul and Barnabas weren't there they were in rags but they were busy with important things so it's just a repeat of what I said before and it's something I've got to remind myself of over and over again expend your energy on kingdom matters not politics politics has an, a way of pulling you into it and really sapping your positivity. Right. Okay, thoughts?